3: I'm talking to this man named Stephen. His issue was that they had lost crops for three years in a row in that part of Uganda, the first two years to drought, the third year to floods. And so I asked him at the end of our time together a question that I often would ask my colleagues around the world, which is what is the greatest challenge your community faces? If we were to mobilize a million people in North America to stand with you, to be generous, to pray passionately, to raise their voices boldly, what issue would it be? And I knew the answer was gonna be hunger because he had just told me about three years of lost crops. And he looked at me and he said, climate change.
1: And that was Jason Folletta from Tear Fund USA to introduce this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio with Gabe. And Gabe, as we just heard, we're going to step into the very politically charged topic of climate change this week. Now, why are we talking about it?
0: We're talking about another topic that receives so much coverage from so many different perspectives. We know when we look at the next generation and their top concerns, millennials to Gen Z, climate change, the environment is at the top of the list. Um, part of that could be how much education's happened around that topic, as well as just how much the media has focused on this.
1: Well, yes, it is a topic that's hotly debated. And because Q likes to lean into the hard discussions, we're going to lean into this one. But we want to take a different perspective. We know people disagree on the topic, but where can we unify on the environment? Where might there be some common ground? For that, we have two talks. We'll get to Jason later, but first... We'll hear from a man who comes from a very theologically conservative background, but when it comes to agriculture, well, you might think of him as some sort of hippie farmer. Joel Saladin runs the Polyface Farms in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. He blogs at thelunaticfarmer.com, but as you'll hear, he has a passion for sustainable farming practices that help to improve the environment.
2: I grew up in a conflicted home a very conservative, fundamentalist home. My mother was the first women's health and phys ed professor at Bob Jones College before it became Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. And so we went to fellowship every Sunday with straight-laced fundamentalists who, of course, ate cheap food in order to put more money in the offering plate for the missions. But during the week at home, surrounded by organic gardening and farming magazines... Mother Earth news magazines, our farm friends were hippies. Plenty of marijuana was smoked around our house, sitting around the compost pile talking about ecology, earthworms, mycorrhizae, gibberellins, and the fearfully and wonderfully made aspects of this nest that we call Earth. After coming back to the farm full time, and God blessing us with wild success I started speaking lecturing writing books I have the 10th one coming out next week I call it my coming out book and I became the the lone faith person in my community because I was talking to foodies sustainable farmers and finally in you know, a way to deal with that, I created a moniker for myself called the uh, Christian Libertarian Environmentalist Capitalist Lunatic. And so when I was speaking at UC Berkeley, of course, you know, the the, the hot bin of the devil's place, um, I was there and I did my song and dance to standing room only crowd of students and, you know, my uh, creationist, sanctity of life, um, all that kind of stuff. And got done, and not only did they not throw me out, they erupted in a standing ovation. We came out of the room afterwards. The two professors who got me there said, We have between us 20 years of experience here at Berkeley, and we have never heard anybody use the word God reverently from the stage without being hissed. They have this tradition there of hissing speakers that they don't like when they say something they don't like. Very cordial. Cordial. And it dawned on me at that time that probably this was the first time in most of these students' lives that they had heard a Christian who they thought was wrestling with consistency. And it dawned on me, my goodness, what kind of bridges and conversations could we in the religious right faith community have... If we owned creation stewardship instead of giving it over to creation worshipers and instead we owned it as a worship of our creator's majestic, creative, abundant, provisional, self-sufficiency ability. You see, I believe that all of physical creation is an object lesson of spiritual truth. And that the redemptive capacity that we love to talk about in our catechisms and in our fellowship groups that extends to each other's broken spirits and broken spiritual situations in a very visceral way, that redemptive capacity is in our hands and our feet, our intellect, our mechanical ability to participate with God in His creation, redeeming a fallen earth as well, to rehydrate the desert places, to bring healing to the gullies, to build soil, to sequester carbon, to keep the air clean, to all the kinds of things that we can do as ambassadors and participants. And so the question that I ask is, how can my farm and foodscape Illustrate to my neighbors, to the world at large, when people come and visit, when they dine with me, when they walk my fields, when they participate in my farm and they touch me, do they leave saying, We have seen forgiveness? Do they leave saying, We have seen mercy? Do they leave saying, We have seen neighborliness and a whosoever will idea? The question is, does what I believe in the pew show itself on my menu? And I think that when we drill down into our conquistador mentality, what we find very quickly is that there's a tremendous tension. And we find a hypocrisy there that is unbelievable. And in my world, when I talk to you know, all the organic folks and the, you know, the ecological and the foodies and all this stuff, typically I'm talking to groups who embrace abortion and all this stuff. And you know, for me, as for I'm sure many of you, when you have a tree-hugger, save-the-baby-whales abortionist, we, we just don't wrap around. How do you do that? How do, you, how do you chain yourself to a tree, but you don't have any problem ripping a baby from the womb? You know, to, we don't have words to express the degree of conflict we see in that. Let me tell you something. They see the th- same thing in us when we go to a Sanctity of Life rally and stop off for Happy Meals on the way. And so on our farm... We don't view a a duality, you know, physical is evil and spirit is good. It's all one. In fact, the Bible doesn't make those distinctions. It talks about the glory of things celestial and terrestrial, and the glory of old men and young women and young men and old men, and even governors and kings, and all sorts of things like that. And 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 when, you know, our churches we get together and good night. If I go in there and I dare to submit, maybe at the next potluck, uh, we should use uh, paper plates instead of styrofoam. What are you, some sort of pinko, commie, you know, tree hugger, nirvana, gay, a worshiper? You know, we we can't even have the conversation because we've gone to our corners because those people are a bunch of creation pantheistic worshipers, and we, we're exercising dominion, and we're taking over. And see, the I think the reason the Lord's Prayer says that he, he, he give us, you know, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven is because too often what's being done on earth is not what ought to be done in heaven. And God wants us to bring a visceral representation of Himself down. So, what would happen if our churches adopted 10 farmers and, and bought local food instead of from the supermarket and developed a local economy sourced around, leveraged around the church? Turned the lawns into community gardens. Uh, equipped the youth with mattocks and hoes and sent them to chop brambles on a neighboring farmer so when they got around at Bible study and talked about the fall of Eden and brambles they would know what stickers were like and we've got to fight these things it's sin is real then you have an object lesson ultimately what we see is a mandate for a physical healing of our land of our economy our emotions our ecology and that When we do that, it makes bridges of respect that even our enemies respect us. And that is a place, as a servant of the Most High God, I want to be in my culture.
1: And that again was Joe Salatin of Polyface Farms here on Q Ideas as we address the topic this week of the environment and concerns about climate change. We'll hear another talk in just a moment, but first, again, to go deeper on topics like the environment or culture creation or racism, we have a long list of topics. Gabe, you and the team have put together a new platform called Q Media.
0: I want to invite you to go to qideas.org where you can have access to hundreds of talks just like what you've heard today, helping you as a Christian know how to better engage culture, how to deal with the difficult conversations, and how to lead others in that conversation. Through our new platform, Q Media, and through our hundreds of clips and Q Moments on qideas.org, you will be able to bring people together and have real conversations that equip and prepare them to know how to lead well in a changing culture.
1: Again, go to qideas.org and sign up for Q Media. Let's return to the topic of the environment and the politically charged and scary topic of climate change. Gabe?
0: There has been a lot of fear created around this topic and this issue, but what seems to evade us is the solutions. How do you change this? How do you responsibly engage stewarding creation? How do we steward it well? How do we look at this amazing resource that God's created, our world, the earth? And, and how are we to take care of it well? Well, we believe and have since the first Q conference, 2007, we had a talk dealing with this idea of environmental stewardship. And we believe as Christians, we should care about creation. We should care about renewing and restoring and looking at the creation and God's created order and all of his design and seeing it flourish and seeing human beings flourish as a result of it. But that doesn't, stop the fact that this is complex it can be very political it can be very divisive it's become different issues to different parties different policies get debated and argued about well at Q this year we had Jason Folletta from Tier Fund USA to give us a talk that would help bring people together would help us see how can we address this topic of climate change in a way that brings unity instead of any type of divisiveness well, this talk was amazing. It was great. It was, it was one of those talks at Q this year. It was very memorable, very impactful, because for many people, they had not heard a talk that helped bring everybody together, no matter what your political thoughts were or what you think the solution is or whether you even think this is a major problem that needs to be dealt with. There was something you could find in this talk that helped you move forward and say, okay, we can agree on this. Let's find common ground and let's work together to move forward. So let's listen in now to Jason Folletta addressing climate change.
3: I had no idea climate change was controversial. Um, I'm going to start talking about getting into this issue by telling That was a joke. You laughed. Thank you. I'm going to tell you how I ended up on this stage talking to you about the issue of climate change. Because to me, it still surprises me that this is something I get to talk about. So I grew up with parents who had immigrated here from Egypt. And in my childhood, I was more aware of things like political asylum before I was aware of Thomas the Tank Engine. I was deeply aware of injustice, of poverty, of persecution, of legislated discrimination. But alongside of my parents teaching me about the world that they had come from as Christians from Egypt to here, they also taught me about God. And they taught me that God was deeply concerned about our brothers and sisters who were suffering. That God, like it says in Exodus 3, hears the cries of the poor and the oppressed. And of this reality of who God was, was that God raises up his people to interrupt injustice. As John Lewis says it, to get into good trouble. And so that's what I wanted to do. And so I began a career Really, it started before my working years. It started in college. I began to find activism and advocacy as a way to mobilize for justice, as a way to act out this desire I had, a way to serve God. And so the very first campaign that I worked on was related to the Darfur conflict. I don't know if any of you remember that, but it was a conflict in Western Sudan. And I was organizing students and advocating that we create this humanitarian response, that it gets labeled a genocide, that the legal response comes into play. And then I, from there, worked on hunger, which we heard plenty about today, which I'm grateful for. We campaigned about water. We campaigned about all these different issues, human trafficking. So I was what you could very much call a humanitarian activist. And then it became my job, and it became what I got to do for work. And so fast forward to 2009. I'm visiting a colleague in Uganda, and I'm talking to this man named Stephen. And me and Stephen are sharing our shared difficulties in mobilizing Christians to do advocacy on policy issues related to poverty. My issue was people that I was a troublemaker or a Marxist. His issue was that people were literally too hungry to show up. His issue was that they had lost crops for three years in a row in that part of Uganda the first two years to drought, the third year to floods. And people were literally going hungry. And he was like, I can't get people to join the advocacy campaign because they don't have enough food to eat. And so I asked him at the end of our time together a question that I often would ask my colleagues around the world, which is, what is the greatest challenge your community faces? And if I were to mobilize a community of Christians in North America... To join you in solidarity, what issue would you want us to mobilize on? If we were to mobilize a million people in North America to stand with you, to be generous, to pray passionately, to raise their voices boldly, what issue would it be? And I knew the answer was going to be hunger, because he had just told me about three years of lost crops. And he looked at me and he said, climate change. And I was shocked. I wasn't a climate skeptic, I was more of a climate apathetic. I had heard the guy who invented the internet had made a movie about something. I didn't see it. I actually still have never seen it. But I looked at him and I was like, Stephen, explain this to me. And he started quoting to me temperature changes. He started using his leg to show me where the grains would be at a certain time of year and how that's how they had measured their crop productions for generations and generations. And all of a sudden, they couldn't rely on any of this anymore. And Stephen's story is a microcosm of what's happening globally. Looking at hunger, last year, the technical term is climate shocks, plunged 29 million people in 26 different countries, 23 of them being in Africa, into hunger, droughts, and floods. But climate doesn't just rest at exacerbating hunger. Look at migration. The UN estimates that every year, 22 million people are displaced by climate devastations and events. And then finally, there's so many things we could bring up that climate change touches, but one of the ones that is most dear to my heart is climate change and conflict. If you remember I told you the first campaign I ever organized was around Darfur, and 16 years ago we talked about that as a ethno-religious Tension fueled conflict. But now we can look back and we know that for decades leading up to that conflict, the Sahara Desert was expanding by nearly a mile a year and rainfall was reducing by 15 to 30 percent a year, pushing people out of the land they've always lived in and creating a scarcity that helped fuel the conflict. I could go on and on about the ways climate change is impacting the poor is impacting humans. I think that is the central message for me, what got me into the issue. So I'm not here to talk about science or debate necessarily the policies. It's more to say that climate change is happening. And the reason I'm here to talk about it is this guy who's been an activist on poverty and hunger-related issues for years is because climate change is one of the greatest humanitarian crises of our time. And the fundamental appeal For us, I think as Christians, there are many ways this issue touches our faith. But the primary one that I have been looking at that I think it's time we respond to is that the global church has been telling us about this for a long time. One of the primary principles that we employ in community development in our work at Tier Fund is you listen to those who are suffering the most because they have the solutions. We've heard those themes here today. Well, people around the world have been testifying that climate change is real, that it is killing them. It's real. It's not made up. Will we listen? That is the question for us. And not just really like, okay, I decide, I believe this, but will we be moved to action? The global church is not just testifying to us. they If you look at the videos of the United Nations meetings and the, the official gatherings of policymakers— There are people testifying to how this is real in their communities, and many of them are Christians. So very briefly, I want to talk about how we can create a response. The first is we must hold our leaders accountable. We have to hold our leaders accountable because the gravity of the situation requires a very multidimensional response. We need our leaders to take bold action on this, and we should be proudly and boldly speaking up for that in solidarity with the church around the world. But we also can't ask our leaders to do something that we ourselves won't do. And so I think we all ought to examine what is one thing that we can do in our lives. What is one thing, one lifestyle change, one decision we can embrace to honor the fact that this is real and it is affecting our brothers and sisters around the world and us, frankly. And I don't want to hear the despair, cynical talk that I hear in a lot of secular places, which is what is one action going to do? What does it even matter? People, we believe in the resurrected Jesus. We believe that he took a handful of fishes and loaves and fed 5,000 people. That's not just a story. He really did that. What could happen if 2,000 of us took one small action? You're allowed to get emotional like you, right? I'm new here. Um, The final thing I want to say is truly the climate movement needs us. As someone who's been in this circle now a few years, what I will tell you is that there's not a ton of Christians in our nation on the front lines. And one of the things that I think is missing because of that is perhaps the most powerful tool of social change our world has ever known, which is prayer. The power of prayer is so real. We could do an entire talk about the way prayer has literally moved mountains to protect a community from genocide, how prayer has literally ended civil wars, how prayer has transformed our own personal lives. But we need a movement of prayer in the climate movement. So if you hear one thing today, it's an invitation to to take that step of praying for our brothers and sisters who are suffering these impacts, pray that our world can find hope and learn more about who God is, that he loves us relentlessly and that he cares deeply about this crisis in our world. That's my invitation to you. Thank you.
0: What a compelling and great talk by Jason who who really challenged us to think about what is our role in this? What is it that we can do? Because even if we disagree maybe on the causes of climate change, the reality is when we don't care for our environment, when we're not taking seriously our responsibility as human beings to care for creation and to steward it well, then we're actually not contributing to flourishing for ourselves or for the next generation. And so what is it that each of us can do? If you go to tierfundusa.org, you can find all kinds of great stories, solutions, amazing work that that organization is doing. And I know there's many others who are working hard and tirelessly on this topic But I'd also encourage you on Q to go to Q Media, to be a subscriber, to go look at our uh, playlist that's dealing with climate change and the environment. And when you go in there, listen to those talks and consider what is it that you can do? How can you address this issue personally? How can you engage this well? And as you continue to listen to Q, go to QIdeas.org where you can see our Q moments. You can subscribe. You can invite your friends, your parents, your church to participate with us Daily, we have new subscribers, we have churches subscribing, we have people starting to see that this resource of Q is not just meant to be a conference, it's not just a podcast to listen to on your own, but it's actually a resource that can create important conversations that aren't taking place in many of our spaces today, whether it's our church boardrooms and staff meetings, or it's at your college or campus organization, or maybe it's just in your own home where you have children, you have teenagers, you have People who are asking some of these tough questions and you're just not sure how to biblically address it, how to faithfully address it, how to understand the complexities of it and not avoid it, but walk right into it and say, let's talk about this particular topic. Today's one example of doing that, but there's a variety of other topics from issues such as technology and sexuality to racism where we as Christians need to be leading these conversations and Q Media can be your partner. It's only $7.99 a month to subscribe to Q Media. You can have access to that on your Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire. You can watch it through the mobile device, on your phone, or any device. And if you're listening and you are part of a church staff, we have church subscriptions that allow you to... Get 25 users accessing this content so you can create amazing conversations amongst your staff, community group leaders, youth group leaders. You can leverage this content in a youth group where you play a talk for your youth and then have conversations around it. So amazing ways to start to apply a lot of this content where it's not just a talk on a website, but it's actually meant to stir amazing conversation, growth, and learning in the community where you currently convene and where you currently have the influence to lead these types of conversations. So partner with us, go to qideas.org, invite your friends to subscribe to it. And we look forward to continuing the learning and conversations with you in the days ahead.